How's social media been going for you? It's good. It's good. It's it's a it's like the wild west. TikTok is the wild west, and yeah. I have to constantly remind remind myself not to be afraid of it. Like it's just human beings. You know? Why are you afraid of it? Just because you hear all these horror stories about people who get doxxed and stalked and like all this, like I'm like tempting the fates even just saying that out loud. And, and people say terrible things, and that doesn't. I worked with 20 year olds for 20 years, so you can't. Yeah. You can't no, scare it me. Takes, takes a lot. It takes a lot, but it's it can be shocking for sure. How about you? I'm always challenged with social media. Like it, it's grown, it's done extremely well, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. very happy with that. But I've started doing cooking for self love. And, I love that. And I think it's important because mm -hmm. like when you talk to John, he's not a fan of self-love. He likes self-like. And so it's okay, but I can't make a 21-day challenge called the self-like challenge because that just doesn't sound right. It doesn't have a ring. For marketing purposes, that sounds horrible. Mm -hmm. um, it does, yeah. Yeah. So then I started doing cooking and it's just like the algorithm doesn't like it because it's different than what I've been feeding it. So The algorithm has become bit. this like third party in all of our lives. Like we are... Yeah. It's like we are trying to please the algorithm in all the ways, but none of us know what it is. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Very the other part is you want to show up as yourself. Yeah. And I'm a multifaceted individual. I've got right. a home gym that I love. I would like to make some fitness content. That's also a form of self-care, self-love, self-like. Oh, yeah. You know, cooking for yourself on a daily basis and yeah. not ordering food every yep. day, every other day. Probably mm -hmm. a good thing for you to do in the long term to start to feed those parts of you that are going to make you feel a little bit happier, a little more joyful, right? A little more confident mm -hmm. in who you are and how you're showing up. Do you want to know what else is great? Why cooking is great for you? And I, I have evidence of this from my data on my aura, aura ring. Um, I love not, it. Not sponsored. Chopping yeah. and, and focusing on food for 30 minutes will complete the stress cycle in your body. So if yeah. you've got a really gnarly day at work or you're really stressed about finances or holidays or whatever, if you spend 30 minutes preparing and eating a meal, your stress hormones get, they get something to do. So they get out of your way and you will feel more calm. So it's good for you in many ways. So I was a chef for 15 years. Oh, damn. Yeah. So I can see that now, but. But not in the chef world. No. In the chef world, it. There's a lot of toxicity in there. Like we don't have to sugarcoat it. It is what it is. Like we've all watched the bear. Is the bear accurate? Yeah, it's very accurate. Yeah. I. Because I was actually a chef in Chicago. So it's just, it's fun to see oh, wow. all the different elements that they brought in with that. And I'm like, some of it was a little triggering at times because you're like, oh, oh I've, I done, I've done that. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I've had that conversation. I bet, I bet. I knew that person. <laughs> and, sure. But yeah, there is something therapeutic about mm -hmm. being able to get in the zone with whatever's in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you're making. Yep. For me, it was fabricating fish. I love being able to just get a whole fish, break it down, get it into little pieces, get it all staged and ready to go for service. And that was like the part of my day that I really enjoyed was meat fabrication. People are going to be like, oh, that's weird. But it's not. It was like the less stressful day, part of the day, mm -hmm. just like zone out for a little bit, focus on, what, yeah, focus on yeah. what you're doing. You get a sense of calm and then you know that what's coming up. So you're organizing yourself. Yeah. through that process as well. And you're regulating your brain because when you're focused on a task in front of you that requires a lot of concentration, you're pushing blood flow and electrical activity into your prefrontal cortex. So if you're feeling anxious, you're manually re reprioritizing everything that's going on in your brain and then your body, which is pretty cool. It's very cool. <clears throat> All right, let's do the beginning of the podcast stuff. Okay. 
We'll knock that out. All right. Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith. And if you haven't already, make sure you click the subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at JaybirdFit. Today, I have a very special guest for you back for round two, Dr. Mary Catherine McDonald, author of Unbroken, The Trauma Response is Never Wrong. Woohoo! Yeah. I love the book plug. Thank you so much. And then I, I also held it up, but you had me. I know, I did. I saw it. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's such a wonderful book, and oh, it, it deserves to be plugged because of all the effort that you put into this and the way that it reads. And if you guys haven't gotten the book yet, I highly suggest that you pick it up, you go through it. It's going to be a great read, especially like at the beginning of the year, if you're trying to do some new things mm -hmm. into the new year, which I'd love to talk about that for a second. Sure. Yeah. What are some of your goals for moving into the new year and how do you set those? Oh man, that's a great, that's a great question. I haven't really thought about 2024 yet. I'm still, I'm coming into the end of 2023 with right. on, on two wheels been a big year for you. It's been a big year. It's been a crazy year in all oh. the ways. But what I like to do in the beginning of the year is think about a reset and intention setting. So rather than, and so usually what that means is that each year looks pretty similar when it comes to intention setting, because I'm on a consistent path at the moment, but it's just like a, an opportunity to reflect more than set the resolution. What do you do? Oh man. I, so this year is really like a new year for me because I left policing last year. Oh, in 2023? No. So in 2022. 2022. Okay. Yeah. And then we're, I started moving into the online space and creating a coaching program and the 21 day self-love challenge, which has mm -hmm. been extremely successful for me. And mm -hmm. it's been really great being able to connect with so many different people. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but we ended up with 22 speakers in 22 days. And these are authors, podcasters, therapists, coaches and other people that just inspire me. And so I brought that to the community to say, hey, look, these are absolutely amazing people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're gonna give you a ton of great information that you're gonna find valuable in the long term. but you gotta go through the 30 plus hours of content, oh, I love that. right? To really soak this in and, mm -hmm. get that, and make sure that you're taking notes and you're putting in the effort, you're showing up every day. And so this is a, I'm a shameless plug, it's my podcast, right? So right but now- social media is for. Yeah, <laughs> no, so we're right. out there. Right now, it's actually 50% off now through, oh, nice. now through November 28th. And what that gets you is that 30 plus hours of content, access to all these people that oh, wow. you can't get access to these people for $97. It's not oh. going to happen. And then there's a closed group. There's daily affirmations. There's all this great stuff in there. So if you're looking for something to start yourself off on the new year, this is going to be it, the self-love challenge. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. And to make all these connections this past year with people exactly like you, right? Not exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we get into the space where we start making these connections. And these are things that a year ago I didn't have. Right? I didn't. Why would anybody reach out to me and want to be on my podcast when yeah. you haven't built anything? And so it's been really cool to see that happen. So now I'm in this place where it's okay. I'm starting to make the list. I'm breaking things down. I'm looking yeah. at what do I want to create next year? And more importantly, what do I want to co-create? Mm -hmm. because I'm recognizing that I don't have to be an island and that I can reach out to other people and mm -hmm. we can do this life together and build these things together. So you had a huge year and now you're like, let's hone things 2024. Yes. That's awesome. But I'm recognizing that I too need a coach. And so mm -hmm. I, I've hit a place where I've done 
all that I know how to do on my own. And I've gotten other coaches. I've paid thousands of dollars for online stuff and whatnot. And you go through it. I did Brendan Bouchard stuff, how to build your online courses and do all these things. And it's been extremely valuable, but now it's okay. I got to take that next step and start building so that everything's more consistent. It's sustainable. And then that'll allow me to move into some other spaces as well. Oh, I love it. Good for you. Oh, yeah. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Bit by bit. Yeah. Now I posted yesterday about disorganized attachment and so many of my therapist friends, each one of them liked it. And I was like, oh, that's really great. And they found value in the way that it was being stated because it was, Mm -hmm. it's clear, it's concise. And yeah, it's a little bit of personal experience, but I think that's what made it so valuable. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say thank you for supporting me in that post. But I also feel like disorganized attachers are like the bastard child of mm-hmm. attachment styles where we don't really talk about it. There yeah. haven't been very many books, if any, that I know of that mm-hmm. have been written on that piece of it. We mm-hmm. have not attached and then right. we've got some more avoidance stuff in the book attached by Amir Levine. Mm-hmm. What is disorganized attachment? And then how can we help people navigate their disorganized attachment? I love how you explained it yesterday because it was it it wasn't scary you know what I mean I think that as you say I've had so many clients come in they take a quiz online I just got an email about this the other day in fact I took this quiz online I have a high a score and I'm disorganized attached and this person was like I'm in a marriage does that mean we're doomed and I love that you presented it in such an even way because I think so often it's presented as these are the bastard children. This is the worst attachment style that you can have. And I just want to get rid of all of that because it's all wrong. So as you said yesterday, the, the disorganized attachment style was added. There were originally three in the original work on, on attachment styles. It was secure, ambivalent, and avoidant. And then in 1986, Maine and Solomon added a fourth, which is disorganized, insecure. And these are folks who had very inconsistent caregiver behavior in their upbringing. And they, the children, when they were studying this attachment style study comes from the study of children and behavior, they displayed a confusing set of behaviors. They might avoid or resist the parent one moment and then cling to the parent in the next moment. And so this is basically a lack of a clear attachment pattern. Yeah. I love you. Get away from me. Yes, exactly. And so in in situations like this, parents served as both comfort and fear. And so the child then doesn't know how to relate to other humans because they're not quite sure if other humans are safe. And so every transaction, every interaction can look like proof that people are either trustworthy in general or not at all. And so this can take itself out in behavior and relationships in some really confusing ways. You did a better, much better job of explaining this yesterday. I love that you said proof because we're often seeking that. Mm-hmm. And it turns into, see, I was right. Yeah, I, exactly. I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind people that your I knew it mm-hmm. are the barrier to connection. Yes. So it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy because This Mm -hmm. is your expectation. It's what you've known. It's what was modeled to you. So when you get into relationships, you could be in a relationship with somebody who is very secure within themselves and within Mm -hmm. their job, within the different spaces of their life. And then you show up as disorganized and Mm -hmm. they're not used to that because that wasn't the experience that they had. And so it can seem chaotic to them. And then they don't know how to deal with that. But then we get into the space of, 
then the relationship ends. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying, ha, I knew it. They must be an avoidant. They Mm -hmm. must be a narcissist. They must be all of these things. And it's stop diagnosing Mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. And it's time to start going within to figure out what's actually happening inside of me and what what can I do about that? Yep. I love what you said, because I think one of the things we don't realize is that we have we all have a worldview and our worldview is running in the background of our psyche. And we are looking for proof that our worldview is right. And so if you have a, a worldview that is colored and shaped by trauma and confusing relationships in your the home you were born into, you look for that to you look for the outside world to match your inside worldview. And that is irrational. And so we're like, I don't do that. I don't have a worldview I don't know about. Yes, you do. And sometimes our behaviors are motivated by things we're not consciously aware of. That's what it means to be human. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. It's just. just Yeah, it's just a part of you. Mm -hmm. But that acknowledgement creates and cultivates that Mm self-awareness that now when you're in relationship with someone else, you can begin to see oh, I'm feeling emotionally activated right now. Mm-hmm. What are some things that I can do? I don't know. I don't have any steps. Mm-hmm. What are some steps that you would give somebody mm-hmm. to start navigating that? I, that's a great question. So I think really quickly, I want to review the other attachment styles just so yeah. we can like, have them all down and then figuring out what to do with them, whichever one you feel like you are. So ambivalent or, or anxious attached is when children became really distressed when a parent would leave and they would cry for like hours and hours. This is the what shows up in the adult behavior is the anxious attached, the person who feels very needy. They, you, I think you were talking in your thing last night about like, someone goes out for a guy's night and you're like, oh, the relationship is over. And, right. and you're in this like fight, flight or freeze state in your house, like absolutely freaking out. That feels very threatening. Super threatening. Yeah. Um, avoidant attached is when kids would avoid parents or caregivers, showing basically no preference between a caregiver and a random stranger. And so though that's the avoidance. I think avoidance, as in you show in your work, get a really bad rap as well. But we have to understand right. that these all of these attachment styles are formed before we have a say. And then disorganized attachment is when you have both. And, and then secure attachment, of course, is when the child shows kind of an appropriate amount of distress when separated from the parent and then an appropriate amount of joy when reunited. So that's what we're looking for. The first thing I want everyone to know is that attachment styles are not fixed. Yes. Would they you describe are. it as a continuum or a spectrum? Oh, maybe it, both. Yeah, because I've heard it both ways. Yeah, I think the, your attachment style, this is going to freak some people out, actually yeah. starts to form in the womb. Yeah. And because that's when your stress response system is getting built in utero. And it forms, it continues to form throughout your childhood until you're about 18. And then it's like somewhat fixed in the sense that we can predict your behavior in relationship. Yeah, you're going to lean one way or the other. But... And then it's also a spectrum. You can have somebody be very extremely needy or someone who's needy, maybe only in intimate relationships, but they're totally secure with their family members, their friends, their coworkers, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So I think it's also important to understand that it depends on the relationship that you're in and also that sort of which quadrant of your life does this fit into. And then your the next thing, so now that we know that they're not fixed, we can change them, we can shift, we can change our behavior, we can change our relationships. We can stop the behavior that is getting in the way. Then the next step is awareness without judgment and shame. How do I tend to feel when my partner goes out for a boy's night? How do I tend to feel when I have time alone? How do I tend to feel when I've just spent four days with my partner? 
and just take that as data. Like I got to leave. <laughs> <laughs> like I need eight on my own. Yeah. And then just taking those as data points and rather than trying to fit yourself into this box and stay there, be like, oh, okay, interesting. I'm showing up a little bit needier than I would like to in this relationship that I rationally know to be trustworthy. So what can I do to negotiate with my partner and figure out what are some realistic ways to, um, to feel more comfortable, more safe? It's a really good question is how do we tap into that rational yeah. thinking when we're feeling so emotionally activated in that moment? Mm -hmm. Number one, you have to wait <laughs> because when you are in fight, flight, freeze, when you are having an outsized response to something, so your partner goes out to boys night and you're like searching through the house for proof that they're cheating on you and trying to get into their email and like you're going into seek and destroy, that is an outsized response to your partner going out to dinner with their friends. And so notice that and don't try to do anything in that moment because what's happening is that since a lot of this stuff comes out of traumatic experience, your limbic system is being fired up. So that's the fight, flight, freeze response. So you're essentially in a trauma response. That doesn't mean attachment style equals trauma response or personality equals trauma response. That's getting irritating to me to keep saying on social media. But your behavior is informed by your past traumatic experience. And so you need to get back to baseline, bring your rational mind back online, and then you can have some thoughts and make a strategy um, to, to behave differently. And sometimes you need someone else's rational mind. So I can call Jason and be like, oh my God. Right. This is what I'm doing. This is what's happening. Can you give me a reality check? Am I being crazy right, right. now? And it's like, yes, you are. That's why I often talk about just the power of the self-check-in. When you, yes. as soon as you start to feel mm -hmm. it, it's bubbling up, you're feeling it right here in the center of your gut. And you're just like, why do I feel this right now? Grab that pen and paper, call totally. your friend, right? Like yep. journal, get this stuff figured out start outlining like what is happening in this moment in my environment mm -hmm. and then try to trace it back yep my first my, point of origin completely my favorite two questions to ask in that space are what am i feeling like what's here and how does it shift so if i'm finding myself in seek and destroy mode what is that i love that what, what does that feel like we all know this mode right when you're like yeah. googling x's and trying to I know you did something <laughs> and now I'm full on detective exactly. and we're going to figure this out. And I don't know what it is, but I will. Yeah. So when you're in that, it's okay. What, so what does that feel like in my body? What does seek and destroy feel like? It feels a little bit satisfying. I feel like I have a project ahead of me. I feel like I have something to do with this feeling of insecurity. And so maybe that's working for me. And also I notice when I feed, it gets bigger. And so when I let myself do the Googling and do the phone searching and whatever the hell you're doing, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. It gets more intense. Now I want to look at this. Now I didn't find this. So I found this little shred of thing and now I need to do this. What happens if I sit with it? How does it shift? Does it go away? If I cook myself a meal, if I go into the kitchen and I'm chopping things and focusing on something else, if I call my friend and say, hey, am I being crazy? Does that help? And the thing, is it more like an addiction? Can we get addicted to that? Like that pain, that feeling, that emotion, that dopamine hit from, from yes. being in that seek and destroy mode? 
Yeah, I think completely, because whenever we're having this situation, there's tons of chemicals being released into our brains and bodies. And so we give we get this feeling of satisfaction, which is very confusing cognitively because we're like, I don't want to do this. It doesn't feel good. And so I, I think addiction is a good framework for it because you're doing it anyway. And it, rationally, cognitively, you know, you want to stop. Uh, I always encourage people look back at your past relationships and mm -hmm. and begin to author that story, whatever that. Like, oh, don't, yeah. to, don't relive it. You don't have to dive really deep into it, but just mm -hmm. go back to the beginning of like your past five years worth of relationships. Mm -hmm. How did they begin? How did yeah. they end? What were the experiences? What were the types of things that you said to each other back and forth? What language did you use with each other? Yep. And, and then you start to paint this framework of ah. I am the common denominator in mm -hmm. a lot of these experiences. And it gives, again, that knowing of yeah. what you're actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. I love that. I also think that every relationship, including your current one, should have a file. And that file could be a note on your notes app. It could be a journal thing. It could be conversations with a friend who promise you they're going to keep you in check. And everything that happens in the relationship goes in that file, good, bad, and neutral. So that when you're in the situation of, oh, okay, I'm in seek and destroy, it might not even be coming from the behavior of your partner. It might be coming from a trigger that happened at work right. and you're about to take it out on your partner and there's nothing going on. And so it can be super helpful to open up that file because this is how our brains work and say, okay, what's actually in here in this relationship? Okay, I've been dating this person for two years. I've never had a reason not to trust them. They always treat me very kindly. Here's 10 examples of that have happened in the last six months. Except for this one thing that reminds me of this person that I dated three years ago. Right. And, and therefore, I'm taking that information, rejecting it on this moment right. and making it true for this person. And now exactly. I'm going to destroy my relationship because mm -hmm. of that. Yep. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yep. You yeah. sow the seeds of distrust and it's there. Those are hard to weed. Yeah. But we're not saying ignore bad behavior. That's not what we're saying. No, right? the, yeah. I think that's the thing with the file is that everything goes in that. Right. So the times when you're disappointed or confused or you feel let down, like that goes in the file, too. It's just that the file is a rational space where you get to look at all of the data next to all the other data. So Pete, we're going to disappoint each other. That's a fact of human experience. Yeah, all the time. But do you have other evidence in there or is the person are you just trying to like cover over red flags? Yeah, God, I, I love that you said that we're going to disappoint each other because I, I think we get into these relationships and we have this expectation. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where the expectation came from, but it exists. And mm -hmm. when your partner disappoints you, then we get the ick. We hear that. We hear that a lot on social media. <laughs> oh, now I got the ick because they did something I didn't like. They chewed the wrong way or right. their shoes look funny on them. Like mm -hmm. I just it's so weird. The things that pop up and you don't realize that that's actually your blockage to having a healthy relationship. Right. And, right. and so we got to work through that and recognize that nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. They are going to disappoint you, but right. how you navigate that disappointment together is right. what's important. Completely. So, so how do we communicate that we're disappointed? Oh, that, that's hard, but I think we have to tell the truth. We have I, to do that. I can't do that. We, yeah. So we have to do the thing that is the most hard and make ourselves vulnerable and say, hey, man, like you blew me off last time. We were going to have dinner and it hurt my feelings. Yeah. Can you give me a reason why you did that? Because what it made me feel like was that you didn't care. And again, I'm saying that it sounds very easy for me to say when I'm not in the situation. It's way harder to do when you're actually face to face with your partner. Yeah, and but you're I, also not blaming. 
no, you're just saying, here's my reality. Can we talk yeah. about this? And I think that the more we do that, the more comfortable we are. And we also have to recognize that it's never going to be fully comfortable. We're never going to be fully comfortable sharing those really, those really vulnerable things because they're vulnerable. And I think also, if you feel like you can't have the conversation in person, face-to-face, -face, that's okay. Figure out a way to get what you need said and then circle back. So if that needs to be an email or a text message or you write down your bullet notes and then you get together and have the conversation and you have the bullets in front of you, that's fine. Adapt however you need to adapt to say the thing you need to say. A common reaction for the other person is that they're going to feel defensive in some way, shape or form because we're dealing with insecure attachments at that point. And it's more often than not that if you have an insecure attachment, you're also dating someone that mm -hmm. on some level has an insecure attachment. Mm -hmm. And so they'll back away from that conversation or they'll get mm -hmm. defensive. Yeah. And what can I do in that point to make the other person feel comfortable in that conversation? I, need I, don't, a, I don't want them to run away. I need a better metaphor for this. The only metaphor I have right now is like the business world. But I think that relationships need to be negotiated, especially when it comes to stuff like attachment and triggers. Like we need to focus on, okay, here's this thing in the room. How do we navigate around it together so that we both get our needs met without one person or the other person feeling dismissed or betrayed or put like an incredible amount of work on? And what so if they, they don't have the emotional capacity to be able to go there? Um, you can't get somebody to your level. So if you're at this level where you're ready to have really deep conversations and the other person cannot do it and you've tried again and they can't hang and all they do is become defensive, then you're at a fork in the road. Yeah. People often ask that because they don't want to leave the relationship. Yeah. But, but they so desperately need and want the I other person it. to change. I know. And it's recognizing that people do have a limited emotional capacity. So if mm -hmm. they're not doing the work, if they're not putting the effort, if they're not mm -hmm. in therapy, if they're not getting coaching, if they don't have a mentor. Right. And this can look like so many different things. If they're not actively working on themselves, yeah. then your expectation that they're going to change at some point down mm -hmm. the road, you got to put that off to the side and say, okay, if this person doesn't change over the next 50 years. Yeah. Can I be in this relationship? Is that yeah. satisfying? Is that fulfilling right. for me? And what is that going to look like when we hit bigger barriers? That's the yeah. other thing of like when it comes to conflict. But I think that like defensiveness can be worked with just the same way that anxiety can be worked with. So when you have a defensive partner and an anxious partner, you can say, okay, my tendency as the defensive partner is that I'm going to, I'm going to try to throttle you immediately because I feel like you're attacking me, right? If you can just get to that level of awareness, then you have a bunch of information. And so that anxious person needs to say, okay, your defensiveness is not going to be, is not going to dictate whether or not I tell you what's wrong, right? I need to be able to tell you what's wrong. So now how do we negotiate? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put what I need or what's wrong or how you hurt my feelings in writing. I'm going to send it to you in an email and you can read that in your own time. And then you can put all your defensive responses down on paper. And then when you're done with that and ready to have a more rational conversation, then we can come together. I'm not in the anxious space. You're not in the defensive space. And we are now able to talk about what's going on. And sometimes you need a third party for that, frankly, just to get the because that's a very we're not taught how to relate that way. Right. And so sometimes you need a therapist or an outside 
perspective, a friend who you both trust who can mediate that for you the first couple of times. But then once you practice that, then you have your method. I love that. And I think a lot of it is just getting curious. Totally. Not enough people are curious mm -hmm. about their partner. Right. I heard this recently on another podcast and I was completely dumbfounded where somebody said my my significant other, they always come home and they talk about work and I can't hear it. It's just constantly work and right. I'm not even interested in that. And it was the, I'm not even interested in that, that I was like, hold up. <laughs> like right. Right. if you're going to be in relationship with this person, it's probably a good idea to have on some level, understand what it is that they do for work and what right. that looks like for them, because mm -hmm. you get a really great inside look mm -hmm. in their inner workings and how they operate, how they problem solve and the way that they look at things. Yep. Because that translates to every area in their environment, no matter yep. where they go. Mm -hmm. So it, it's in your best interest to at least be understanding. Now, I get that it can be overwhelming at times, right? As a mm -hmm. former first responder, I recognize like you didn't sign up for this, mm -hmm. right? Like I have a lot of stuff that I could give you. I'm probably going to hang on to that because right. I want my home life and to look different. I don't want you to take on all these right. things secondarily that. I've been experiencing. Yeah, no, I love that example because that's like, that's again, like we're so quick to be like, okay, now I'm going to stick a label on this person and this relationship. I'm going to build a case to why I'm miserable and I'm going to get myself out and I'm going to find 500 memes to prove that I was right. And it's, or I got, I got all the memes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's the memes are fun. I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. But when you're building a case against someone, that should be the thing that you pay attention to. And instead, you could be like, okay, so my partner comes home and they shout about work for two and a half hours. That's not sustainable for me. What would be? What could I get interested in about their work? Because it's not just that you are or are not interested, as you just said. There's a lot of ways you could dig in, let that person feel heard and attuned to, and then also have a cutoff point. Yeah. Okay, once we start making dinner, we're done with work talk. Yeah. Sounds simple enough. Right? I know. It's, it's... <laughs> it's just getting that put into practice. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, you recently wrote an article for Psychology Today, and yeah. it was outlining what a trauma bond is. And I feel like this mm -hmm. is such a great transition to move into yeah. this. So what is a trauma bond and what does that look like? Okay, this is another space in social media where we've done the thing that we do, where we take the word and we apply it to all sorts of things. Everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a trauma bond with this water bottle because it's blue yeah. and I don't know if I like that color. Like, no. The real definition. And then here's the thing. I think we might just need to use different words because I can tell you where the term comes from and what it means in psychology. But then I think it's important to understand what we're trying to do when we're applying it to everything. Oh, I'm big on, so I hate labels. I'm not a yeah. fan of them. When we talk about attachment styles, it's the same thing where it's okay. So you know this about the other person. They might be avoidant, but they might also be disorganized or right. they could be somewhere on the continuum. So don't diagnose people. Right. But if you know this about yourself, like, oh, I'm anxious. Now I have all these tools that I can start yep. referencing and using. So now I know myself better. And when yep. I know myself, I'm more confident. I feel better. And I can interact in relationships and relate to people on a more healthy level Yes. than I was able to before. So get rid of the label, use it for yourself, stop right. labeling other people because it's not going to help you. And it gets really complicated because you start using all this psychology terminology and let's use some simple words to just express what you're feeling and what you're thinking, what you're going through. In this exact moment. Yeah, totally. And I think the other thing with attachment styles that we don't realize is that sometimes the avoidant is avoidant because the other person is making them feel trapped. Sometimes the anxious person is anxious because the other person is irresponsible. 
You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be a fixed thing if this is just what you're experiencing in this one relationship. Going back to your point about make a timeline of your past relationships. Okay, trauma bonds. Yes. We talk about it now. This, these are a couple of ways I've seen it in social media that you're a first responder. You have a trauma bond with all the other first responders that you worked with. No, that's a bond, right? But it's not a trauma bond just because you went through traumatic stuff together. It's not Stockholm syndrome where you have your, you develop an affinity for your abductor. That's its own thing. That's important. That's its own thing. And it's not the word for someone who just continues to find themselves in bad relationships and where they can't get out. Like I'm in a trauma bond because it's hard to get out. It's always hard to get out. The path is very long and windy sometimes. But and that's important, but it's not a trauma bond. The definition comes from the study of domestic violence in the 60s to the 80s. And the real definition of a trauma bond is the development and course of strong emotional ties between persons where one person intermittently harasses, beats, threatens, abuses, or intimidates the other. And that's from Donald Dutton and Susan Painter. So the idea is that you have this relationship that is essentially disorganized in the pattern, right? Meaning like you have these moments of intense connection, um, love bombing, really, really passionate connection. And then you have abuse on the other side. And it turns into a cycle because the abuse happens. You want to leave. You think this is unacceptable. But then the person promises and promises they're going to change. Things are going to get better. Um, and then they love bomb the bejesus out of you and you believe it. Yeah, because it feels really good. It feels really good. And again, going back to what you asked about chemicals before, we can get addicted to this. Not the abuse, but the cycle. Cycle. Yeah. yeah. Because when you're in that down, you've been abused and abuse can look like a lot of different things, which we can talk about. You're at your lowest dopamine, oxytocin, all of these chemicals. And then the person comes in and they blast you with all of the happy, connected chemicals. And you're like beside yourself. Yeah, and, that, and that lowest is that hopelessness. Right. Yeah. And so we're constantly hoping that when is this going to change? I need mm -hmm. this to change. And when you finally realize that you're three months into the cycle and this is where it usually turns around, it's like you begin to expect it. Yep, totally. And you your system anticipates it and it's yeah. OK. The good thing is coming. The good thing is coming. Yeah, even In your body, you feel yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Totally. The I wrote a chapter in Unbroken about this and I, the metaphor that I used were, was rare earth magnets. Do you know about those? Mm -mm. These are the strongest magnets that exist. They're so strong that they're actually dangerous. So if you have two of them and you like put them between your arm, they can break your bones. They collide so intensely. Wow. And so they have this incredible connection, but it can also be dangerous. And you can see why I use that metaphor because it's, it also levels your system up to this place where you need all of that feedback and that passion in order to feel like you're in a real relationship. Yeah. All the twin flame people right now, oh, we're going to start using that. Good job. Did you watch the documentary? <laughs> oh my God. So I saw the one on Hulu again, we're not affiliated, but so that's the one I watched, but there's another one on Netflix again, not affiliated, but I know there was a second one. There, There is on, on Netflix, not affiliated guys. Um, <laughs> Dude, those people. And they're still active on social media. I know. There's yeah. a guy on TikTok who joined. Did you see this? Mm -mm. He joined and he's like filming on TikTok. His, I'm, he's obviously not wanting to join the cult. Like right. in earnest, he's doing it as a stunt. But like, God, that's so sad and fascinating. And those two people are so deranged. It's amazing. But 
So is that experience a trauma bond? What, I'm thinking for, of the for some of the people that were involved because they're it's the whole thing. We could maybe we should do another we episode. Should do another on episode. That. On yeah, that. let's deep let's dive. Do that. Yeah, we could do like a movie night. Invite our communities, watch the thing, and then yeah. do it. Do a podcast on it. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I think that you can have a similar kind of experience with a cult leader because you cult leaders do this exact thing, right? They tear you down, tear apart your sense of self. And then they build you right back up when you're at your absolute lowest. And so this can happen in a group or also just individual one-on-one to a cult leader. And so I think that's, we might want to call that something different, but I think it follows the same pattern as a trauma bond. And interestingly, the thing that no one ever wants to talk about when it comes to trauma bonds is that there is a neurobiological aspect to this. When you're in this feedback loop, you, your brain chemistry is being altered such that you actually disconnect from the parts of your brain that know yourself as a self and can get out of a relationship, take the steps to get out of a relationship, be aware that you want to make those kinds of things. Bessel van der Kolk calls this the mohawk of self-awareness. And it's just a series of brain areas that run like a mohawk on the top of your brain that, that are responsible for yourself, essentially, neurobiologically. And so a lot of times, I'm sure you've seen this, people will say, I don't even know who I am. Oh, yeah. And that's, we've probably all been there, right? That's a sign that you're, you've gotten disconnected. I, I think so many of us hit that when we're like 35, 40, 45. You know? Oh, it was like midlife crisis kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. Who am, who am I? I who lost am it. I? But oh, in a there, there is a part of real, mm-hmm. real self discovery there. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're moving into this next stage of life that yep. is completely different than anything you've experienced before. Yep, totally. So I'm Un- looking un- at the unrelated. comments and someone was talking about when he started saying he was Jesus, I was out because that guy in Twin Flames actually thinks he's the second coming. Yeah, I couldn't stop watching. I, I just, okay. yeah, I'm like, what is happening right now? I know. And it's so interesting to see people getting involved with this and then staying in it mm-hmm. and not re- immediately. I was just hit with, ugh, right? That's how it makes me feel. Just mm-hmm. watching the first few minutes. I'm like, oh, why? Oh, God. But it shows you like the the like alchemical magnetism of charisma is like a force from beyond. That guy, for whatever reason, I don't find him charismatic whatsoever. But some people see that guy and they're like, he is my messiah. You know what I mean? Well, so it's the blue eyes. I think a lot of people fall for it's like that magnet. It kind of draws you in. right? Yeah. It's like piercing, like it's seeing through you. And when you have people that are in this area of spirituality and twin flames and everything's kind of a sign and they're looking for information, they're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for something that's outside of themselves, Mm -hmm. not recognizing that everything that you're looking for right now, it's actually already inside of you. Right. And and it's just a lot of skills that you haven't learned yet. Right. And I say yet because what was modeled to you when you were younger. Yep. Just it didn't help you as an adult. So now you might be a little emotionally immature and you might be struggling with some things. So I'm always big on you just got to learn some skills. Yeah, totally. Yep. Mm. He also, broken. no, you're not broken. Nobody's broken. Mm. No such thing. You might be dented. You might be bruised, but you cannot be broken. Oh, for certain dentists. Yeah. <laughs> he, but the other thing that he does, I think, is have the audacity. You know what I mean? Like he, and I think all of us, especially at this point in the world, would love it if someone swept in and said, here's exactly what you need to do. Yeah. Here are the exact steps to happiness. Here's what to eat. Here's what to do with your time here. Like, I think we are all more susceptible to that than we think. 
It's just that when it's in such a kind of vivid form, we think that could never be me. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Even when you have an insecure attachment, you're looking for that savior. Yes, totally. Come help me. Come show me. Come guide me. Yeah. Yeah. But you could also just be tired. Really? I think so. Sometimes when you're like super tired and you get decision fatigue, it's, man, I would really love it if someone just came in here and told me what to eat. And maybe that's just me. (laughs) No, not at all. So I think we're hitting the end of our time. You said you had. I do. Yes. So this was great. I loved every second of this. It was really good. Me too. It was so fun. So guys, if you don't know Dr. Mary Catherine McDonald, make sure you go and get her book, Unbroken. The trauma (laughs) response is never wrong. She also does a podcast with John Kim, the angry therapist. So if you haven't hopped on that yet, go do that because they just share so much information and it's so relaxed and it's fun. It's easy to listen to. And that's what I love about you guys because it's just, it's real, it's raw, right? Yeah. We've known each other for so long that it's like we forget that the, and this was the intention, but we forget that we're like recording. We're just like having a catch up conversation. Yeah. And he's having another retreat here soon too. The beginning. Oh, check that out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was co-ran the last one with him and the house is beautiful and it's an amazing space and yeah go check it out awesome how can everybody reach you work with you or get more information about you yes the book is available anywhere that you buy books amazon any fine book reseller whatever wherever you like to go indies are always great and you can find me on instagram and tiktok at the same handle it's mc.phd and my website is alchemycoaching.life and it's alchemy coaching on facebook as well so make sure you guys go check that out thank you I forgot about Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) We often do. (laughs) We often do. Yeah. No shade. No, No, not at all. (laughs) MC, thank you so much. Thank you. This was so lovely. Yeah. See you soon.